Anyway, it's so good to be uh, here and uh, got a lot of love for your pastors, uh, Charles and April. And I really honour them both for taking a step and coming and moving away from Geelong, which is where pretty much you've grown up, isn't it? To come up here and, uh, and just be a part of a magnificent group of people. Boy, oh boy, you're going to need uh, you're going to need more room here, aren't you? Look at this. And so we're just so thankful for you both, uh, not just the fact that you're pastoring this church, but the blessing that you are to the wider body of Christ and the blessing that he has been and his team has been with this Hope Tour. And the way that you've just got so behind it as a church and invested into it, you'll never really know the tremendous uh, results that have come from that. Hey, and I keep nagging him all the time saying, when are you going to bring this Hope Tour up to Albury, Wodonga? It's like we're not even Christians up there, you know, like it's just unbelievable. But let's give it up for them both. They are just a wonderful, wonderful couple and tremendous pastors. Really good. And uh, yeah, I was surprised to see John and Joanna here. Just wonderful to have John and Joanna Torrance, April's mum and dad. We served together with Pastor Nick Reskey's team. Hey, and we made it through his leadership. And, uh, and so uh, we just loved working together with Pastor Nick, with the youth ministry and also Youth Alive, I think, too. Uh, I can't remember with Nick running Youth Alive. Some wonderful uh, memories there as well. So it's great to have you guys here, too. And, uh, and, and tremendous to be here uh, with you, with your God, I spent some time with uh, Charles over dinner and and breakfast this morning. We we're talking about family, and uh, and he got to talking about his grandfather. How many have met his gr- grandfather? Probably haven't, have they? Oh, he's passed away. Dominica and Rosa, yes. And uh, he was telling me about his grandfather when he migrated here to Australia, and the uh, the family got together and said, "Look, you know, uh, we've heard when you migrate to Australia that." Uh, uh, if you want a good paying job, you've got to make sure that it's a job that has a uniform to it. And so when he, uh, when he went around all over the different places to find work, whenever there was, a, whenever there was not a uniform, he declined it. Uh, but on one occasion, he went to a company called Kraft and uh, he applied there and uh, they gave him this uniform of white, uh, white, everything was white, white cap, white shirt, white pants, white shoes. And as he was clocking off at the end of the day, across the road, he sees a guy with a Salvation Army uniform, quite elaborate uniform in comparison, you know. So he dashes over, he spins the guy around, and he says, uh, Mike, you have got a beautiful uniform. He says, a beautiful uniform. He said, who are you work for? And he says, I work for Christ Jesus. And he says, I work for his brother, Crafter Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Who's heard that one before? Some of you have to. Did you? I can't remember. Uh, it's funny. I can, I can, yeah, it is. Yeah, I can, you know, I can imagine him doing it. Um, anyway, so, yeah, I do, have, uh, I do have the book out there. I think I brought it up here for a long time. I can't remember. Did I bring it up last year? I can't remember. Um, I don't know if you can show it up there for us on the media uh, crew. Does the screen come up there as well for me to see or? No. No. Have you got the book on, on the screen? No. Does the screen work? <laughs> Does the screen give up the ghost sometimes? Hey? Oh, okay. Anyway, in the books are a whole number of things that you can uh, draw some help and heads uh, up screen working. Um, yeah. It does help me, you know, I'm telling you. <laughs> So there are some things you can uh, you can get 
blessed by from the content. We cover the seven reasons why we dream. A third of our lifetime is spent, spelt, spent sleeping. Uh, God doesn't necessarily sleep while we sleep. Uh, he speaks to us. And so we look at nine common dream themes. Uh, why recurring dreams are really important. Hey, that's so important. Um, can a dream foretell a future? It has for me. Uh, why we have nightmares is important because I consider them, uh, I don't consider nightmares bad news. I think they're good news. You just don't understand them. Uh, how to interpret dream symbols. All Are all dreams meaningful? And the uh, supernatural dreams. We talk about the difference between a soul and uh, soul dream and a spiritual dream. And so that's out the back there for you. I might cover a couple of incidences that I've had significantly with people during the course of the message. It's, I think it's a great evangelistic tool and terrific to reach the unchurched with. Um, so um, let us come around uh, for the time that we have um, around the word. Um, let's stand for a minute. I just have adapted a new custom for myself as we read the scripture um, I want to introduce to you, uh, reading from the New King James Version, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 15. Then I came to the captives at... T Who's I came? Ezekiel. Then I came to the captives of Tel Abib, who dwelt by the river Chabar, and I sat where they sat, and I remained there, astonished among them, for seven days. We are in chapter 3. Ezekiel got the commission and the call and the assignment and the agenda of God previous to chapter 3. But God doesn't tell him, and nor does he let him loose, to operate in his assignment just yet. He tells him, listen, first thing I want you to do, the first thing, go down to the river and check a few things out. Father, we pray for this short time that we are together. Even though it's a short time, let this word resonate a long time. Even though we're here briefly and temporarily, let what is said this morning sink in permanently. And Lord, I pray within uh, this flawed and imperfect vessel that Holy Spirit, you might have your way in and through it like a conduit of blessing because it's what's in the best interests of your people and that they may hear your voice, Lord, and respond accordingly in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's go grab a seat. I've highlighted, highlighted up there what I want to speak to you about. I want to speak to you about the theme, I sat where they sat. I sat where they sat. You have launched this year, your pastor has launched this year, the theme. What's the theme this year? All right, you guys look at that. Okay, you're listening. <laughs> Kingdom agenda. I so wanted what is being said here to be complementary to that. Whether you are here or watching online, it's been my desire to be very, very complimentary for what your theme is this year. And this immediately leapt up in my spirit to share with you. Now, Ezekiel might have been a young prophet here, said, 
I'm ready to go now. I've got the Word of God. I've got the assignment. I've got the agenda of heaven. And make no mistake about it, as a church, you have a corporate agenda. But don't forget, you have an individual agenda too. We have two things at play here. You have the corporate agenda of the church, but what is it that he's called you specifically to as well within your gifts and talents and callings is equally as critically important. And so he says, before you have anything to say, Ezekiel, before you say something, I want you to see something. And before you begin with speech, I want you to begin with silence. And he goes down to the River Chabar and doesn't say anything and is astonished for seven long days. So before you can preach, before you can get going in your assignment, Ezekiel, I just need you to see something. I need you to connect with something. I need your eyes to open to something and that something is really, really important. And so what did he see? What he saw was captives of Babylon, people who were refugees of war, people who had lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost their income, lost their hope, lost their confidence, and maybe even lost their faith in God. And so I wonder if there's anybody here right now or online that feels like that. You feel like, well, where is God in everything about my life right now? Because that's how these people felt. They'd lost it all. They'd lost their freedom. They'd lost their hopes. They've lost their dreams. And Ezekiel goes down there and they've been pulled out, ripped out of their homeland. Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire have rampaged their homes and pulled them out and taken to Babylon. And now they're at the River Chabar, captives in a foreign land with a foreign language in a country that they had no idea that one day they would be ripped into as migrants. Didn't see it coming. I, I, I spare a lot of thought for people. I know in our church, I'm sure there are people here. We've got a vast African community up there, Condoleans and Nigerians. We've got Zimbabweans, South Africans. People who not not really... It was not really their first preference to leave their homeland, but they are in a foreign land called Australia. He says, go down there and you're going to see something. And he was astonished for seven days. Have you ever been, who's been astonished at things? You know, I follow the Geelong Cats football club. And a lot of our, and a lot of our enemies... We're astonished that we won the grand final. Too old and too slow. But we won it. And then Jessica Watson. When I saw and read and heard the movie and listened to the, and watched the movies, a 16-year-old girl navigates the entire earth and sails into 12 hours of a ferocious storm experiences seven knockdowns, is pulverised by 32-foot waves that throw her airborne and the boat plunges into the depths of a roaring ocean. I thought it was astonishing that this girl made it through. Have you ever been astonished? 
Have you ever seen something and it was riveting? The Turkey earthquake in Syria. I will never have the image removed from me where the father is holding on to the dead daughter's hand who was crushed. I looked at that and was absolutely astonished by the damage, by the catastrophe, by the unbelievable trauma of what was going on. And it helps you every now and then to understand in the comfort of your own environment and in the blessing of your own life that there is trauma and tragedy and brokenness and despair and pain and hurt on this planet. And Ezekiel goes down to the river Chabar and he sat where they sat and it was so important to God that he said, before you say anything, you've got to see something. What good is an armchair coach who has never played a game of football in his life? Because he can't connect. It was so important in God's agenda for Ezekiel that he connects with pain, that he connects with hurt, that he connects with trauma, he connects with despair, he connects with people's loss. He wanted this prophet not to be a professional a professional minister, a professional prophet, but somebody who knew how to sit where somebody else is sitting and try and understand what's going on. God have the years, I don't do it anymore. Man, I remember, I don't know if you guys remember it in the early days. We would have the prayer meetings. My word. We'd have the prayer meetings. Everybody scatter. Everybody scatter. Just find an empty seat. Go around the empty rows. Pray for the seats. Pray. Oh, Lord, thank you, Father, for filling the seats. Thank you, Lord, right now. Hallelujah. Fill the seats. Fill the seats. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Fill the seats. Fill the, fill the empty seat. Fill the, there you go. Oh, there we are. Oh, there she is. Praise God. All right. We have a couple full right there. We are having a revival here. Look at that, all full. I don't pray like that anymore. I refuse to pray like that. In prayer meetings, when the church gets together and the team gets together, we don't pray for inside. We pray for the seats outside. And if you'll sit in the seats outside, they'll come and sit on the seats inside. Come and sit with them. Sit with them. Feel their pain. Ask them what their story is. The dumbest thing you can say to a person in the hour of their need is I know how you feel unless you've exactly experienced what they feel. But at least try and sit with them and hear their story and understand what's going on. I was in Geelong and uh, Kate said, do you want to come shopping with me? I thought the worst thing you can ask me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I thought for the sake of the marriage, Pastor, I went. So I went to Bay Plaza. We we're on the first floor. And, uh, and uh, I made it that far. And I said to Kate, I said, listen, would you mind if you go do the shop, I'm not going to get a paper and sit on the bench here and read it. 
And she said, that's fine. She goes, and there on the bench, there's a bench seat, is someone, an older gentleman sitting. So I went and sat where he sat. And I sat next to him. And I thought, you know what, I'll probably never see him again, so we'll just go straight into it. I said, uh, and what's your name, sir? He said, John. John, this is Soren. I'm Soren. I said, I talked a bit, you know, you know how you do, just break it in the conversation a bit. I said, John, are you a church man? He said, I used to be. I said, you used to be? He said, yeah. He said, look, I, I hadn't been to church for about three months. I'll never forget this. And I thought I should get back to church. Okay. When I went back to church, my, how do I do this? I'm not going to name the church. I, I went and the minister met me in the foyer and he'd not seen me for three months. And he said, ah, John, you haven't been for a while. And I said, no, I haven't. He said, do you know, he said, there is a chair with your name on it and it's reserved in hell. I said, John, I said, John, seriously? He said, I haven't wanted to go ever since. I got excited. I said, John, John, I'm so, look, John, John, this is an incredible moment. John, there is definitely a seat on a, a seat in hell with a name on it. It's your minister's name. He got it screwed up, man. And then I thought, geez, I should, probably shouldn't have said that, eh? I said, John, I'm so sorry to hear that. I said, I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would be abhorred at being represented like that. I said, Jesus came for the broken. He would sit down here with you and help you and not hurt you. He would cure you and not kill you. I said, that is the Jesus that I represent. I'm so, on behalf of the ministry, I apologise to you. I said, John, has anybody ever talked to you about the message of salvation? He said, what is that? And I began to, this, that's how I lead it in, I use the message of salvation for curiosity. He goes, I don't, I don't, what, what is that? I unpack the gospel of Jesus Christ to him. And do you know what he says to me? He said, I am 70 years of age and I have never heard anything like what you have just told me. I said, John, John, would you like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? He said, I'd like that very much. And I prayed with him and brought him to Jesus Christ because I went and sat where he sat. I don't have my phone on me. In my phone, I have a, a heading on the, on the notes, Soul's Journal. I know I put in the exact date, the name of the person, their story and what they shared with me and what I'd said to them and log it. I meet people in, on the Uber. I've met them on the aircrafts. I've met them in park benches, shopping benches. I've met people fishing on the jetty. I've met people fishing on the beach. And the sower went out to sow the seed not not the reaper your job description is not to reap the sower 
went out to sow the seed. You want to know what kingdom agenda is? We, your job description is to sow the seed. Sow the seed, people. Don't you reckon? But you've got to connect. There's a scripture in Proverbs, I think it should have it on the screen, 2520, it says this. When you sing a song of joy to someone suffering in their deepest grief and heartache, it can be compared to disrobing in the middle of a blizzard or rubbing salt in their wound. We have to connect. Can I hear an amen? Amen. I don't know where to go. I'm going to stop with this stuff. Let's jump to one of my favorite passages of Scripture because it's all about Jesus. And Jesus, I want people to see you. I want you to help me see you. John chapter 9, verse 1. Have you got it up there? Is it up there? Afterwards, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man from birth. His disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this guy blindness? His own or the sin of his parents? Do you, you read that? Keep that on the screen there for a while. Did you read that? I think that's ridiculous and humorous. Jesus is walking with his disciples. Ready? Jordan? Walking with the disciples. And he noticed a man blind. No? No, this morning you're metaphorically blind. Movie, right? Movie? Cut. Take one. Take two. Take two. Jesus is walking along with his disciples. They noticed a man who was a sinner. I'll start again. Jesus is walking along with the disciples. He notices a blind man. The disciples, she's man. Did you sin or did your parents sin? How's that for connection? <laughs> Look, what the heck? What do you notice? What do you see? What do you see, man? What do you see? Notice a blind man. Wouldn't it have been better? Would this have not been better? Watch me. Would this have not been better? Jesus walking with the disciples and he notices a blind man. The disciples have seen him do some stuff. Lord, we've seen you do some extraordinary things for people. What can you do for this man? Could he be healed? We've got faith you can touch this man's situation. No. What the heck with you, man? What? You sin, your parents sin, what goes here? What do you notice every week, day to day, when you are walking and on your journey in your life? What do you notice? What do you see? 
I am, I need help. This man needs help. I go on an aircraft and I go, living in Geelong at that time, I get on a flight in Avalon to go to the Gold Coast. I'm busy, you know, I'm a busy man, eh? Come on. I sit down, there's an elderly couple next to me. I sit down, aisle seat, aisle seat open the laptop, boom, get into my work. Oh, I've got to do work. Give me a break, you know. Lecturing, preaching, all that. You feel like you're a preaching machine sometimes. No, seriously, man. Finish one, you've got to get on the next one. I don't even know who they were. Plane lands, I get my bag, out I go. Then the most unusual thing happens. I'm three days on the Gold Coast. I've gone to see my dear father. You know, I've lost my mum, lost my sister, so I'll go and see dad sometimes. I'm three days there, right? On the third day, I get on the plane to go back to Avalon. I go to get my seat. There's two elderly couples sitting in their seats next to me. The guy goes, oh, hello, we know you. I'm thinking, who the I said, you know me? He said, yeah. He said, we sat next to you on the way up. The, the, the Holy Ghost aerial is reaching as high as it can go. And I'm sitting down and I have two thoughts cross my mind. There's a reason why I'm sitting to, next to the same people on the way back. And had I done it right the stinking first time, I might be sitting next to someone different. Because this cheech here didn't get it the first time. So I'm not that spiritual, people. I'm sitting down there, I'm thinking, Lord, I am so sorry because you wanted me to reach them on the way up and I didn't. And you placed them here the second time because this is really important. I'm going to tell you, I've been at this for 38 years. I've never, ever had that sort of experience. Who, who has had anything like that happen? Sitting next to the same people on the way back? Wow, you guys have got a story. Well, I hope you did what you needed to do. <laughs> I just thought I slipped in the neck. <laughs> I'm sitting next to him and the gentleman and I are talking and I put down in my journal what we talked about. Anyway, I don't even know how I got to talking about the book I did on dreams and things. He goes, oh, he said, that's a really interesting subject. I said, yeah. I said, the recurring dream is the most important. Really? Most important because the person's not listening to the message contained in it, otherwise it would cease. Just one moment. He turns to his wife, Mandy, because I, I can only hear him whispering, Mandy, talk to him. Talk to him. She doesn't want to talk to me. Mandy, talk to him. She, he's... I'm thinking, man, he is labouring this. Labouring. I'm feeling uncomfortable there. 
I thought the guy needs help. I lean over. I said, Mandy, I said, I've had so many wonderful experiences with people's lives. I said, please feel comfortable to share. I said, maybe there'll be some good in it. She said, all right. She said, I have had a recurring dream for 40 years. Oh, I said, it's exactly what I thought, man. I said, 40 years, same thing. She said, all the time. I said, what do you dream? She said, I dream I'm in my house. Now, that's important because 40% of dreams are house dreams because they're to do with your domestic life. If it was a dream in the workplace, it would be to do with work life. If it was carrying a case, it would be work life. If you're in a suit, it would be work life. But this is in the home. I said, what's happening? She said, I go and put my hand on the door handle to enter this room and I never do. I've never opened it for 40 years. And then somehow we are Holy Spirit people and he helps you to ask the right question because you could ask a million questions and they not be the right question. And I ask the question, what's on the other side of the door? She goes, something evil. I said, for 40 years you're dreaming that something's, yeah, and I didn't ask her to say this. She just goes, I hate my mother. Boom. Ain't that funny? I didn't ask it. See how the Holy Ghost is. He's trying to reach, man, he's trying to reach people. And I sat where they were sitting on the way up and wasn't responsive. And I said, when she said, I hate my mother, I said, is she alive? She said, no. She passed away. I said, you still hate her? She said, I despise her. I said, I know what's on the other side of the door and I can help you. She said, what's on the other side of the door? I said, here's the problem. You don't have the power to deal with what's on the other side of the door. You won't, have, you won't be able to deal, deal with it. But I know someone. <laughs> I know someone that can help you. And I know someone that can disarm it and that's dream will never torment you again. I know this person and I know him well. She said, who are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about somebody who has lived forgiveness on a level that no human being has lived. Because what you need is to forgive your mother and you can't do it but this person can help you. She said, who is this person? I said, Jesus Christ, who forgave the entire sin of humanity, can forgive you here right now and help you to forgive your mother. I'm telling you, when I'm speaking about Jesus, the anointing and the presence of God was so thick in that row that I did not know if it was being experienced anywhere else on the plane, but it was that strong that thick. You ever been in an atmosphere like that? Man, it was that thick. I'm thinking, man, I'm about to pass out. <laughs> and I got a piece of paper out because I thought, oh, she's just not ready yet because we are sowing seed. You know when someone's ready, right? She's. I got out of, I didn't have no paper on me, so I got the spew bag out. <laughs> Ripped the piece of paper off. It was a clean one wrote my information out, 
gave it to the husband who started to crunch it because I wanted him to put it in the pocket. He started to crunch it and she reaches over. She said, Alex, I need you to fold that really carefully and put that in your pocket. I haven't heard from her yet. But I'm only sowing seed because it is kingdom agenda to do so. Amen? Kingdom agenda. I served in Horsham and was reaching out to a guy there. Ten years later, I'm in Geelong, and his wife rings up Horsham, says, where's that pastor in the church? He's down in Geelong. My husband is in Ballarat Hospital. He's dying. He's asking for him. Ten years later. Ten years later. Because you can't, if you sow a seed today, you're not got, that doesn't mean that that straight up time. And I went to see him in Ballarat, and the presence of God was so good. I won that man to the Lord. Ten years later. And he said, Ezekiel, I need you to go and sit where they are sitting. And he went and he noticed a blind man. I don't have this on the screen, and I need to move quicker. In verse 15 to 18, you'll have to look this up at your own time, this man is healed from his blindness. And what does the religious sector do? In verse 15 to 18 of chapter 9, the Pharisees interrogate the blind man and question the blind man because he was healed on the Sabbath. What guy, you figure, you know. In verse 18 to 21, now they interrogate his parents. The guy is healed and the best they can come up with is interrogation. And in verse 24 to 34, they grill the man and question him a second time. A second time. I mean, now he's supposed to feel guilty because he's healed. Then this beautiful piece of scripture. Oh, first of all, in John 9, 34, if she can have it on the screen. In John 9, 34, it says, some of the Jewish leaders were so enraged, enraged and said, just who do you think you are to lecture us? Because a blind man's talking to them. You were born blind, you filthy sinner. You th and they threw him out. Threw him out. And the next part, the next part is just magnificent. In John 9, 35, this is, this is the Jesus we serve. And oh God, help us to be the same. When Jesus learned they threw this man out, what does the Bible say? He left it to the pastoral care department. <laughs> when Jesus learned they threw this man out, he went to find him. I love it. Don't you love that? I love it. If you've come here today and you feel a lost soul, if you've come here today and you feel like a sinner, if you come here and people like those disciples have put labels on you and said you're good for nothing, no hoper, no good, nothing ever decent is going to come of your life. If you've come here today or you're watching online and you feel like the scum of the earth, if you feel like you've been a no-count husband, a loser, never done anything, anything decent with your life, if you've come here today and all you've done is feel like you've just made everybody else's life hell, if you've come here feeling so gutted in life and you're full of despair, 
and you've just are absolutely empty in your soul, I want you to meet Jesus Christ. The one who didn't see somebody blind, though he noticed that first, but he healed him. Jesus can heal you too. He can heal anything and everything that's troubling your soul and your health. Because that is who we serve here, isn't it? He, he, he went to find him. Jesus noticed a blind man. What do you see at work? What do you see in your neighbourhood? What do you see in your schoolyard? What do you see on your street? What do you see when you see someone? What do you see? My first job out of school, I was working in a car yard as a detailer helping the mechanic. Just went for any old job to get me money. I accidentally started selling cars because every, the guys were preoccupied and I thought, I think they'd appreciate me just holding on to these guys in the yard, you know? So I struck up conversations with who knows who and held them there and I was just talking to them about the car. They said, well, we'd like to buy it. One time I saw an elderly Italian man and he was scruffy, tattered sort of clothes, unshaven look and I went there and I said can I I'm a, I'm a, I said can I help you I'm a, I'm a looking for I'm a looking for a car a nicer car for drive the sales manager is in his office with his feet up on the desk he knows he's out there and won't come and talk to him and then the old man pulls out, that was in the 80s, 6,000 cash out of his pocket. I went to the sales manager. I said, there's a gentleman out there looking for a car. He said, are you? I said, he pulled six grand out of his pocket. What do you see? What do you see? What value do we place on humanity? God called Ezekiel and gave him an assignment in life. He said, Lord, before you open your mouth, before you say anything, I need you to see something, see something, see something. See it. See it. Let's have the band come. Jesus Christ, light of the world. That was beautiful words in that last song. I... Uh, I can be a piece of work sometimes for the Holy Spirit. I'm sure he wants me to reach a lot more people if I would just be attuned. Just we're so doggone busy going on with our life. Even the, uh, the kids pastor came up to me at church. He said, I want to buy a food truck. I said, what for? He said, I want to buy a food truck. I think we can do some outreach. I said, how much do you want for that food truck? He said, I found one online for... For 13 grand. I said, mate, that's not in the budget. I said, take it to the board. The board said, give him two grand to go and buy a trailer and a barbecue plate. I'll go back to him. I said, that's all you got. His face drops. Because he his faith is not connected to that. 
His faith is a point of contact. Oral Roberts used to talk about faith as a point of contact was with the van. I said, you really want this van, don't you? He said, yeah. I said, well, what the heck are you going to do about it? Why do I have to believe for everything around here, you know? Like, what do you, I mean, do you believe God? What? What do I have to believe for you? Why don't you believe this for yourself? Have you got faith for this or what? You got faith? He said, I think so. I said, well, he's struggling. I said, well, you know what I would do if I was a youth pastor? I said, I would do a Donald Trump. He goes, a Donald Trump? I said, yeah. I said, you get up on that. I'm going to give you permission to go up on that platform and appeal to the church and see if somebody wants to donate something to it. Get your team around you like Donald Trump does, so it looks awesome. Put your, put your stuff on the screen and do a presentation, tell them what you're going to do. He said, oh, okay. He goes up there and then I gave him the Sunday of all Sundays. It was a long weekend. All my business people were nearly away. I'm thinking, oh, man, 13 grand. He got $30,000. Even I didn't have faith, Pastor Charles. Food van is taken into the primary schools, it's taken into outreaches. Now I've got a guy in the church who wants to do street outreach and take the van and reach the homeless. And I'm thinking, mate, all because of a van. But it's a good thing, isn't it, to go and sit where someone else is sitting. Amen? That someone else is sitting. What time we finish here? Have I got time for one more? Will you give me time for just one more testimony? Front row's good. I'm on another plane trip. And um, this one is also, I'm flying from the Gold Coast, seeing my dad again, and flying back to Geelong. Now it's winter, and I'm on the aisle seat, and this sharp-looking girl, I think she's in her 20s, quite attractive-looking young lady, but crook as a dog, eh? Sick as, man. The days when people were less sensitive about sickness. (laughs) I had a packet of tissues that I just put on the front of my screen, she looks at my packet of tissues and she's, you know, pretty nasally and a bit snotty. And she said, could I have a, a tissue? Oh, man, I just gave her the whole packet. Oh, man. I was so glad she was there. I was here and the seat was empty. I thought, man, I need a buffer, eh? And a lady comes and sits in between us. And she's watching me work away. And that, uh, that was when I was Planet Shaker. So I opened up Planet Shaker's letterhead because I'm doing Bible college lecturing. She's sitting there from Planet Shaker's, the lady in the middle. I was like talking to the lady in the middle. I glance over to the girl at the window seat who's crook. And she's doing this beautiful pencil sketch. And she's sketching. And I thought, you know, my wife comes from a family of artists. It was really quite impressive. I said, that's quite an impressive sketch sketch you know we've got safe distance I'm good and she goes she goes yeah she said um I said what what's got you into being artistic like that she said oh I think it brings it's an enlightening experience it brings the enlightenment out of me I said enlightenment I said what's your name she said Jarrah oh I said what like timber and wood and that's sort of <laughs> I said, Jarrah, 
the word light is in the word enlightenment. She said, that's right. I said, you and I, we've got something in common. She said, how so? I said, I'm into light as well. She said, are you? I said, yeah, but the difference between me and you is I'm into pure light. She goes, pure light? I said, yeah. You've got to understand that my light is superior and yours, very inferior. She goes, how to make connections. She goes, I said, my light can light the MCG. And even that's probably not doing it justice. Yours is like a night light, you know, like trying to find your way into the bathroom. She goes, ooh, look at you. I said, no, no, I'm serious. If you knew what I had, you would do anything to get it. She said, what do you got? I said, see, this is what I'm trying to tell you. How on earth are you even able to understand what I'm trying to tell you here? I said, I've got superior, you've got inferior. I am to, Jara, I am so totally lit. She goes, you're lit. I said, so lit, man. She cracks up laughing. She said, you're too much for me. She said, you're out of your mind. I said, no, nah, no, nah, I'm out of yours. I don't care. I got in the flow by now. You know, you know if something's offensive, you pull back. I thought she's in the flow with it, so let's go, you know. I said, do you know, Jarrah, I am that lit that I'm 100% sure that my steps are ordered and I don't randomly sit next to people. She said, so what? Are you into that destiny thing? I said, 100% destiny. She said, so am I. I said, do you see what I'm talking about, eh? That's why you and I are having this conversation. I am so into destiny. She said, I often think about that. I said, you and I were meant to meet. By now, I don't know what the heck the woman in the middle is thinking. <laughs> and I'm talking to her. I said, you and I were meant to meet. Do you know what she says? She said, that's really funny. She said, I always fly to Melbourne, always. It's the only time ever I'm flying to Avalon because I pushed the wrong stupid button. I said, no wrong, nothing. I said, you were meant to push that button and you were meant to sit here and I was meant to talk to you about a superior light. She said, I am interested in this superior light. What are you talking about when you say pure light? I'm talking about a light where there is no shadow of darkness. I said, no, even a speck of it. The light that I'm talking about is so strong that darkness cannot even bridge the perimeter of the fence line. She said, are you going to tell me about the pure light? I said, I want you to know it's not about a thing, it's about a person. She said, now you've got me even more thinking. I said, I want to talk to you about a person who refers to himself and he says, I am the light of the world. Jarrah, he's so lit, he's lit the planet, man. <laughs> she goes, who are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. 
And you can have the same light in you that you have in me, that I have in me. I said, a matter of fact, do you live very far? I've got to finish, man. Do you live very far from Burley? She said, not, not, not far at all. I, I didn't connect the two. <laughs> I said, there's a church there called Glow Church. <laughs> I didn't laugh till afterwards because I'm so in the zone. You know? I thought, flip, I just said Glow Church. <laughs> light, glow, glow, light. I said, there are some incredible people your age there, shakers and movers, they want to change the world. You need to go there and get yourself connected with some friends. She said, you know what's funny about that? She said, I was just thinking, I'm serious, this is what the conversation was. She said, I'm serious. She said, I was just thinking about needing to change my friends. I don't think my friends are good for you. I said, that's because they're not lit. You've got to find lit people, man. How on earth are you going to find your way in this dark world without a lamp to your feet and a light to your path? It's all Bible, isn't it? She's got no idea what I'm talking about. You've got to find friends that are a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. She said, where's the church? So I told her where the church was. It was not my job to be the reaper. I'm the sower. The sower went out to sow the seed. What's the kingdom agenda? You know what the kingdom agenda is. Be a sower of the seed and be the lit person that you are because you are, because the light of the world lives in you. Amen.